We're in Haggai chapter 1. And, and just to remind you, that's when the people of God, they had been kicked out of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians destroyed the temple, destroyed their lives. But through the Persian king, thanks to the Persians, Afshin's, Afshin's ancestors. Thank you, Afshin. <laughs> um, the Israelites are invited back into Jerusalem to rebuild their lives. But the problem was they came back and instead of rebuilding God's temple, God's house, they get too busy trying to build their own houses. And last week we talked about... Um, what happens when you have misplaced priorities? And when we focus on our own lives, then, then, then God is not honoured. And if God is not honoured, then God will not honour you. But when we honour God, when we put God first and foremost, then God, you build God's house, he'll build yours. And that's what Haggai 1 was all about. And we're going to be talking about Haggai 2. Um, the best thing about the book of Haggai, it's only got two chapters, so that's it. <laughs> One, two, finish. You know, so many times we want to do the right thing. So many times we want to live for God. We want to serve God. We want to live the righteous way. We want that. But so many times we're faced with difficulty and distraction and, and discouragement. For many of us that have been walking in the faith for a while, or been a Christian for a while, going to church for a while, you would have experienced this. You felt like God wanted you to do something, and so you got onto it, and then suddenly out of the blue, something crazy happens, which makes your life difficult. Or something happens, and it distracts you. Or someone says something, and it discourages you from doing what you believe God wants you to do. For example, um, a few years ago, we, we had a new member um, that wanted to turn up to one of our life groups, our small groups. And it was a rainy night, and we were a bit worried because he'd never come to our house before. And then we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and then suddenly we got a call, and he's been involved in a car accident 100 meters down the road. And so we go down, and we, we helped him out, and you know, there was a time where he was really excited. He really wanted to come to life group. And then he just gets in that car accident and he, and he just got discouraged. You know, like, it's like saying, you know, like, I want, I want to read the Bible every day this year. You know, you go, yes, I'm going to read the Bible every day this year. And, and you go, you know, you go five out of seven days. In your mind, you go, wow, that's great, five out of seven days. And then, and then someone at church makes some smart comment about how, you know, hey, you missed two days discouraging, even though you're trying to do the, the right thing. See, this is what happens to the people of God as they're rebuilding their temple, rebuilding this temple, rebuilding God's house. And in Haggai 2, uh, it's going to show three areas of discouragement that the Israelites go through. The Israelites are going to go through three different areas of discouragement, but in each one of these discouragements, God's going to show up. And that's, that's the bottom line of, of, of this passage, is that no matter what you're going through, whether it be difficulty, distraction, or discouragement, when you're building God's house, and you feel like that, God will show up. God will show up. God will address that. Okay? 
But let's go through Haggai chapter 2, okay? And we're going to look at three discouragements, okay? Verse, uh, the first discouragement is the discouragement of comparison, okay? Verse 1 to 3. On the 25th day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Now, remember what the, the temple they are building is the, it, it was a original temple and it got destroyed and they're rebuilding this temple, right? But some of the older guys, some of the older Israelites who were old enough that they actually were are present when the old temple was built. Now, you read about the first temple, the temple that was built by Solomon. It was covered in gold. There is no, there is no structure in all history, they say, that compares to Solomon's temple. And yet these guys who saw Solomon's temple, this magnificent structure, are rebuilding this temple and they realized this is not what we remembered. This is not even comparable to what the first temple was. And so these older guys and older people, older Israelites, were feeling discouraged because they were like, man, this is nothing like what we used to have. And what they're doing is they're comparing. They remember how big and how amazing the original temple was. And then they're, they're working to rebuild this temple, but it's just not good enough. It's not big enough. And then they get discouraged. That's the situation. But God steps in, verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares to the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you. This is what I promised with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be even greater. Then the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God reminds the Israelites that the glory of the first temple had nothing to do with the outer appearance of that temple, but it was the presence of God. It's because it was the house of God. It was who dwelled in that temple. That made that temple magnificent, not what it was furnished with. And God reminds them in the same way in this temple. Yes, physically it may look different. Yes, it might be smaller. But because of me, because of me, the glory will be there. It will be as magnificent. God reminds them that the same God that delivered them out of slavery out of Egypt... The same God that shook the heavens and the earth. The same God that declares that the silver is mine and the gold is mine. This same God is present and is saying that this temple will be even greater than the former house. 
Verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater. That's what God's declaring. And verse 9, and in this place, I will grant peace. Peace in the face of discouragement. That'd be nice. See, that's how God intervenes. The second discouragement that the Israelites go through is the discouragement of being unworthy. Verse 10 to 17, on the 24th day of the ninth ninth month, so this is one month after, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other foods, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled, meaning dirty, by contact with a dead body, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on, on, on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. What's Haggai talking about? Haggai's talking about the Israelite people in their disobedience. He's actually reminding them, hey, you were sent back to build up my house, but what did you do? You did not obey me. You just did your own thing. Look how sinful you were. Look how dirty you were. And you know, you're so dirty that whatever you touch is dirty too. And that's what it's saying about being defiled. If a defiled person touches something clean, then this becomes defiled. It's about impurity and sin. God's reminding them, look at your sin. Look, look, look how messed up you were. Now, at this point, you've got to think, well, that's pretty discouraging. That's pretty discouraging, you know, being reminded of your sins, being reminded of of your weaknesses. That's super discouraging. It's this, you know, most of us from Asian culture, this idea of just not being good enough. A A lot of us have been through that. And that's the discouragement of being unworthy, not good enough. But once again, God steps in. Verse 18, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth, ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. So the Israelites should have been discouraged because of who they were, because they were unworthy. They were sinful. They were messed up. They were dirty. And God shows them, look, on your own, that's who you are. On your own, that's, that's all you do. But, but from this day on, and that's such, a, such an important phrase, from this day on, meaning that there is, there is a stake in the ground and, and, and something's going to change and we're going to turn a corner. And God says that they will not be defined no more by their past sinfulness. 
They're not going to be defined by their, their past weakness. They're not going to be just known by the things that they did wrong. But from this day on, they will de- be defined by their obedience to God. As God declares, from this day on, I will bless you. Can I tell you that's one of the most encouraging things that you might uh, maybe need to hear in your life. You are not defined by your past mistakes. When you know God, and, 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 and when you submit under His authority, okay, you are not defined by your sinfulness. See, He took care of that when He sent Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross and Jesus said, it is finished. And you get Jesus' righteousness as you gave him your sin. You and I are not defined by what the world tells us that we are. We're not defined by what we did 10 years ago. We're not defined by our weaknesses and our flaws. What God is saying, when we submit under God and when we are obedient to God, when we know God is our Father, we are defined by what He says about us. And what God says is that He is with us and He's going to bless us. That's how we're defined. You can walk out here, you might have walked in here as a broken, sinful person, but you can walk out as a changed person who's blessed. I'm blessed. I I got the presence of God with me. That's who you are. Not about what happened yesterday. This is how God comes in to encourage those that are discouraged about being not good enough or unworthy. And the final discouragement in the last three uh, verses of this chapter is the discouragement of significance. Verse 20 to 23, the, Lord of, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time in the 24th, month, uh, 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now this passage, this last bit directly is to, to talk about the leader of the Israelites, and his name is Zerubbabel. And he speaks very, uh, very plainly to, to him. And, and it's not uncommon, right? When God is moving corporately, when God is moving in a group, the enemy, right? The first target of the enemy is always going to be the head. It's going to be the leader. So it's, it's not uncommon to, to see that Zerubbabel probably was the most discouraged or probably the target of most discouragement. Remember, the Israelites were destroyed. They were exiled to a foreign land. And it was only recently that they came back and they really started to rebuild. Now, as the leader of this group, Zerubbabel would have been under a lot of pressure. He would have been, able to, he would have been seeing you know, other nations. And you read in Ezra the story about the building, but, but all these other nations were not happy that they were, the Israelites were back trying to rebuild. And so there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of bad-mouthing. It would have been so easy for Zerubbabel to look in the mirror and question, why am I doing this? God, why did you choose me to do this? Like, is it, you know, is the brokenness of my people, is because I'm a bad leader? Is it because of me? And yet God addresses Zerubbabel personally. 
And he declares that he will be like God's signet ring. Now, what's a signet ring? Now, this is a signet ring, right? A signet ring is a ring that ancient kings used to wear. And any kind of formal documentation, right? The document would be sealed with a bit of wax. And then the king would stamp his ring on that wax, sealing that letter. And it was, it's like a signature. It's like a signature. Um, it was a symbol of authority, honor, and ownership. Right? You walk around with a letter with the, with the, the king's signet. Right? You, you have power. It's showing who is behind you with this letter. And God declares to Zerubbabel that he would be his signet ring, one with honor and authority because God had chosen him. This is the encouragement to a discouraged leader, asking, who am I? Why am I doing this? God is saying, it's because I chose you. Very personal. Discouragements of comparison, discouragement of being unworthy, discouragement of the lack of significance. If we're honest, we've all gone through some of this stuff. If we're honest, we've, we've, we've experienced all of this stuff. Look at all these other people. Well, you're not good enough. Or who do you think you are? It's so easy to be discouraged. You know, one of the things about newer Christians, we see it all the time. They come and they experience God's love for the first time. They experience God's goodness for the first time. And they make decisions in their lives and they're like, you know what? I want to live for God. I want to live for his house. I want to live for his church. And then suddenly just things happen to distract and suddenly life gets harder. And suddenly things become um, discouraging. But the thing that we need to understand in this journey is that God is the greatest encourager. You know, sometimes we, we have these misconceptions of God that God is really far away. God doesn't care. He's like, look, I, I sent Jesus to die on the cross. You know, I've done my part now, and now you go and do your part. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we think like that. Or sometimes, sometimes we feel like God just doesn't care. Like we're going through troubles in our lives. You know, some of us are going through relational issues. Some of us are going through financial issues. Some of us are going through, you know, just, you know, I just don't, I just can't wake up in the morning to go to school kind of problems. You know, like, and sometimes like, you know, you know God, God, you know, where are you? I, you just, I just don't care. Well, sometimes we, we, we sort of feel like God's the other way. He's just standing there with a stick. And he's just waiting for us to make the wrong move. He's just waiting. And as soon as you make the wrong, the wrong move, like, if, if you think of God like that, then, then we, we, we need to have a chat about your parents, okay? Because usually there's a very good correlation with that one, okay? <laughs> but that's not who God is. God is not out to get you. God is not out to police your every move. God is not trying to push you down so that he can feel better about himself. God is actually on your side. 
God is actually on your side. That's why God's the greatest encourager. You know another word for encourager? Cheerleader. But it doesn't sound as awesome. God is your greatest cheerleader. You know, A-L-B-E-R-T, Albert. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like that doesn't sound cool, right? God is the great encourager. You know, God is the great cheerleader. Woo! You know, but that's who God is. Do you know that's who God is? You know, God, he really wants the best for you. Now, I know sometimes you don't feel like that. I know sometimes, especially if you're in a, a tough situation, you know, you, you don't feel like that. But do you, know what, do you know what discouragement does? Discouragement takes you away from God. One of the outcomes of discouragement is that it makes you feel like God is far away. Because when you're going through a tough time, you're asking that question, God, where are you? God, why are you not protecting me? God, why are you not providing for me? That's how we feel when we go through discouragement. But even with all these discouragements, and even though God may seem like he's far away, the reality is, and we see it through Haggai, actually we see it through all the Bible, God is not far You think he's far, but God is not far. Actually, God is right there. It's actually our inability to see him. When we first announced that we're going to be building a church in Burwood, there's a lot of excitement, really heaps of excitement. You know, there's a lot of great conversations that are happening. You know, people are excited. People are excited about spring sowing. People are excited for what God's going to do in the inner west. But if I'm completely honest, there have been, and I'll, let me term this very carefully, there have been opportunities of discouragement as well. Okay? And that's the reality. And I know that when people said certain things, they didn't mean it in a, in, a, in a negative way. You know, a lot of the times, discouragement doesn't come because someone actually wanted to come and discourage you. You know, someone just says something, they probably don't think about it, but you take it in that way, right? So like, when I was young, right, in Korean, when I used to go to a Korean church, at my parents' church, people would come up to me and go, man, you're so healthy, Man, they, they grab my arm and go, man, you're so healthy. And I used to think, well, I did go to the gym this week. I do run. Later, I found out that's not what they were saying. Later, I found out they're just telling me that I was fat. <laughs> you know? And so I became really self-conscious about that stuff, right? And, so, and, then, and then the next one came with the, man, you're so sturdy. All right? In Korean, it's like, tumjike, you know? You're so sturdy. And I was like, well, yes, I, I am very sturdy. And once again, what they were saying was, you're just fat. <laughs> right? You know, they, they, these adults, they say that to you. They're not trying to discourage you. They, you know, they're just kind of, but you, it can be so discouraging. You know? Like, you come home and you go, wow. Look, Dad, 99 out of 100. 
And your, your parents, you know, probably, you know, if they're loving parents, they'll be like, great, good job. So what's the one you got wrong? <laughs> or, or the other one, right? Dad, second in the class. All right, you know what's coming, right? Who was first? See, not all the time discouragement comes out because someone legit, all right, some of these guys are like, oh, I'd take second any day of the week. <laughs> I'm just saying this, this area right here, okay? <laughs> second? Second last. Jokes. <laughs> Jokes. At least you beat someone. <laughs> Sometimes well-meaning thoughts and statements can become discouraging. And that's what happened with Bo. I'll tell you some of them. Do we really need another church? There's so many churches in Burwood. Do we really need another church? Or, hey, uh, Steve, I just wanted to know, like, financially, like, you know, are we okay? Are we okay? Like, do we, do we have money at church? Because last time I remember at the members meeting, uh, you were telling us that we didn't have money. You know? Or the other one is, Steve, um, you know, who's going to be running the bird one? And I go, oh, well, you know, our pastoral team will be running both. And he goes, oh, so you, you're going to be preaching at both? Are you going to be okay with that? Like, you know, like you're going to have to preach twice, so you're going to be tired. You know what that one is? That one is the, man, I think you're unhealthy, and I don't think you're going to... I think, yeah, and, and, you know, that was my wife. Okay, I'm just saying. Just keeping it real. My wife legit told me, you need to, like, get healthier if you're going to run two churches. And I agree with that. So I'm going to go on a diet after I come back from a holiday because America is calling me, you know. But as I said, discouragement doesn't happen because someone comes and goes, dude, you're so stupid. Okay, that can be discouraging too, right? But most of the time, it doesn't happen like that. It's these little comments. Oh, hey, oh, so you're a leader at the church? How long have you been actually at the church for? You know? Oh, you're serving already? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, you're on the praise team? Oh, wow. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I didn't know you could sing <laughs> or play. Been saying that to a few guys for years. Jokes. That's why some of these guys who aren't on the praise team, are still not on the praise team. They keep putting up their hand. The reality is, there have been many opportunities for discouragement. And I think when you go through life, that will happen over and over again. But can I tell you, this is what I said, right? This is how I termed it. They were opportunities of discouragement, but they were not discouragement. Why? Because I didn't let them be. How? How did I do that? How did I not let these things discourage me? Why? Because I'm so arrogant and I don't care about what everyone else thinks? Yes, kind of. You know, especially my wife. Okay. But do you know how I got through? I remind myself of what God reminds the Israelites, that his presence is with them. I remind myself, God is with me. I remind myself that God is with me. That God is with our church. That God is with our new church. That God is with our leadership. And so no matter what discouragement comes our way, we can fight this. Because we have the greatest encourager in 
in the universe. That's God. And his greatest encouragement is just being with you. The greatest encouragement from God in no matter what situation that you are in is the fact that he is with you and he will never leave you. And that's what it says in the Bible. Aren't you encouraged by that? No matter what you're going through. You know what? If we're honest, we're all going through something. We're all going through something. We're all going through some kind of discouragement. We're all going through some kind of difficulty, some kind of distraction. And what God says is this, hey, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your life, I am with you. That is so encouraging to know that the creator of the universe, he knows you and he cares about you so much that he, he's telling you he's with you. So friends, when you get discouraged, or when the opportunity of discouragement comes your way, whether it be comparison, whether it be feeling unworthy or not good enough, or whether it be questioning your identity, remember God is with you. God is in your corner. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you, to give you life and life eternal. He's fighting for you. And he will continue to fight for you for the rest of your life. As long as we stand by him, he will stand by us. That is the greatest encouragement. I pray that that would encourage you tonight. I know some of you, you you need to hear this tonight. I know for some of you, this is not just like, oh, what a great message. Let's sort of clap and finish the service. You know, some of you, you really need to hear this tonight. Because what you're going through is real. The hardship and the struggle and the discouragement is real. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry you're going through that. But God's encouragement is real too. His presence is real too. He's not far. He's here right now. So friends, be encouraged because God is near. Amen? Let's pray.